0: As we're going through Advent, I, uh, I was thinking about this. I want to do, do something that deals with this. I want to talk about some of these themes. Also, today, I want to talk a little bit about hope. Uh, and partly, I'm doing it like a week behind. So if they steal my thunder, I'll change it up before I get to the next week. So it gives me some cushion. And I'm going to do something today that I have never really done before. This is going to be a, a, a sermon or a teaching that is unlike any that I've ever done. And um, so I'm going into it with a little bit of fear and trepidation, uh, but it's different on a number of levels. And I know that my old professor in seminary would be, would be, if he could hear me, would be rolling over in his grave. I'm gonna break rules, I'm gonna do things, and, and uh, so what, I don't care. Um, so first of all, we start with the normal thing we always do, Jose. Helps me find out where I'm at on that (laughs) demon machine. Um, We're going to, um, and and we're going to look, and this here's one of the rules I'm going to break. We're going to kind of springboard off of a passage. Thank you. You are the best thing that's ever happened to me. Jeez, no, no, that was a stupid thing to say. Okay, you can tell I'm getting nervous and I'm feeling weird. All right, so... um, I wanna talk about the thrill of hope. One of my, I, just, I love this Christmas hymn when, it's, when we sing the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And that sense of the, I mean, you've ever had that? If you have ever had that sense of a thrill that something incredible might be possible for you and it just kinda of wells up inside you and you feel excited and, and, and it's just like this awesome opportunity. And I wanna to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. Yes, we're doing Christmas, but I'm still throwing things from Hebrews in there. And we'll go through this later in our study of Hebrews in more depth. But I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 24. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from an empty, guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So, the, the, in Advent, oftentimes, typically churches talk about hope and they talk about peace, they talk about joy, they talk about love. We're going to touch on all of those. But today is hope, and, and if there's something we need in this world today, it's hope. This is the time. There's wars and there's destruction. It's hard. I'm kind of a news junkie, and, and I've been laying off it some, just in a sense because it can, it can be very difficult to watch innocents suffer and, and to feel like you're going to cry in your home. You know, just, It's just very difficult. But hope, hope brings security. It bolsters security in people's lives. So where you place your hope is the imperative thing for you to determine. Because others, like joy, they're determined from the onset. Right from the very beginning, the foundation is laid in where your hope is. What do you put your hope into? What do you think makes life worth living? Makes your life better? What are you betting on? Your hope is key. It's something this deep and abiding, you know. Happiness, things like that, are fleeting and temporary. You know, I mean, you know how it is. You can wake up one day feeling good, and then somebody does one thing to you, says one thing, cuts you off with their car, whatever it is. They do one thing to you, and you get you, you get upset. And you, if if you're like me, sometimes I stop and wonder why have I given this person that I don't even know in another car that has gotten off on the exit, and I'm going on my way, why have I given them such power over my life? Because now I'm just on edge. I'm a little bit upset. I'm ticked, right? It's fleeting. But understand, hope leads to a joy that is not fleeting. It's everywhere in the Bible. It's everywhere. In the book of Acts, the disciples were arrested, and they were beaten, and they were told, don't talk about Jesus. And what did they say? Uh, no, we're gonna, right? And it says they left rejoicing what kind of crazy people rejoice after being beaten how is that possible it's the kind of people who didn't put all their chips on being happy but have gone all in on hope this hope that leads to joy so hope hope is this hope is the confidence that comes from knowing what is ultimately true It's a confidence, it's a foundation, it's a basis, it's something I can stand on, it's something I can build a life on. It's the kind of hope that kindles a witness to people because we're hopeful people as the people of God. We're not Eeyore, right, we're not Eeyore. We're more like Tigger, T-I-double-g-er, Tigger. We're not exactly like Tigger now that I think about it. illustration has gone off the rails a little bit. Okay. But the idea is that we are people of hope. We have a bedrock of confidence. And and these are the things that we stand for. So let's look at this. Let's think about how this happens. Because most of our problems point to something that goes deeper in our heart. And some of the things that I've loved, I mean, in the last 20 to 30 years, there's been such great scholarship. There's been such great work by people on, on how the, the, the human body works, how it works spiritually, how it works in, in so many different ways. And there's been some people that I feel like have done some brilliant work in talking about the problem with idols. And just that the fact that oftentimes idols, particular different things, point to something that's deeper and where the core is. Um, one person who's, who's, who's talked about this a lot, uh, Tim Keller, I love some of the stuff he does. And, and it's this idea like some people say, I have an anger issue. Some people say, maybe I have a relationship issue. Maybe I have a lust issue. Maybe I have. The, but the problem is, oftentimes, that issue, there's something deeper that's fueling it. There's something deeper that's bringing that about. And the idea is, there are these core issues of our heart, and misplaced hope is, is, is where they get us. They get us to hope in the wrong thing. So I'm going to just give you four quick things. That, that to me show this, that, that a lot of people, is, I'm, it's not original with me, a lot of people have talked about this, but I want you to see the first thing is, a lot of people want comfort in their life. They love the idea of, of, of life being comfortable. We like that. And let's face it, in our culture, we are bombarded with this. Be comfortable. It's all about you. We're bombarded with this. I want it now and I want it to be easy. The other day, um, I'd been doing a lot of stuff and I realized I'd, I'd, I'd just blown right by lunch, you know, which is very unusual for me. But uh, I just had gone, and it was like 2.30, almost three o'clock, and I thought, I was driving and I thought, I'm just gonna pop into Chick-fil-A, grab a quick sandwich, and off I go. And there was a line, there was a long line. What kind of idiots eat lunch at three o'clock in the afternoon? This kind. And there's a lot of them. And they all went to Chick-fil-A. And I was just sitting in line going, what is the deal? Why are you here? I have a valid reason, but I don't think you do. And I, I, I want what I want. I want it easy. I want it now. And we want the good life. And comfort, comfort's not wrong, unless that's where you're putting your hope. Because then when the stress and the demands of a fallen world crash into my comfortable life, I become uncomfortable. And that's when we tend to do things like lashing out at other people around us. Sometimes people we love, sometimes total randos, people we don't even know anything about, but sometimes it's people we love. And, and, and we tend to react because we're uncomfortable. And we tend to cause problems in our lives and in the lives of other people around us just because we're uncomfortable, because we've lost something, and we react we, we react strongly. When comfort is shaken, and the problem is this: a totally comfortable life means no risk at all, and a life without risks is not a good life. It's a sad life. Now, I don't mean risks like um, doing crazy things, like threatening life, like 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 some idiot that would do wheelies on his motorcycle in front of his church when a policeman was watching. That's not what I'm talking about. Guilty, your honor. No, real joy real joy is not in self-seeking pleasure. It's found in self-sacrificing service. I want you to understand this is so important for us to get. Real joy is not found in self-seeking pleasure and just making myself as comfortable as I possibly can. Because risks are a step of faith. And risks can bring bring great rewards in people's lives when we risk for the right things. That's a step of faith. It's hard. Steps of faith are uncomfortable. They're uneasy. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I want to tell you something. No kid, no little boy, no little girl lays in bed late at night awake going, I hope I have a life that's boring and comfortable. That's not what God made us for. It's not what he made us for. It's not what we should be doing with our lives. Because serving others, sa- sacrificial service costs. It's not easy and comfortable. All right? Getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever to go serve homeless people in our port ministry on a Sunday morning is not comfortable. It's not comfortable. But... The rewards are incalculable. What I'm saying is, we don't even know the rewards that may come of us doing something like that of self sacrificing service for other people. And God says in His economy, I mean, this, when you do it for the least of these, you're doing it for Jesus. Now, we would all, if, if we knew for sure, that on Sunday morning, December the 24th, Jesus was going to show up at the homeless shelter, we would all be there. Right? Yes, the answer is yes. (laughs) We would. We would because it'd be Jesus. Okay? Here's the announcement. Jesus is showing up at the homeless shelter December 24th at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he's going to ask for some breakfast. Who's willing to feed him? Now, I'm not trying to guilt you into this. I know we all have, we have, we have plans, we have, we have uh, issues, we have things going on in our lives that we can't necessarily control, so we can't all volunteer for everything that requires a volunteer, but I want you to start thinking about this in a little bit different way. If you knew Jesus was going to show up, I think you'd decide to come. So we've got to think about that because self-sacrificing service brings great rewards. I would be thrilled to hand a sandwich to Jesus when he's hungry. I'd be thrilled to do that. So that's comfort. Here's the next one. These are the core things that oftentimes our problems spring from or idols spring from. These are the four core things. Second one is approval. And there may be more. I'm not going to say that they're just these four. This is approval. This is, we all want affirmation. We all want to be appreciated. We all want to be liked. We all want to be seen. That's what we want. What's the worst thing that you could say to somebody if you were talking to them? Oh, sorry, I didn't even notice you were there to be ignored. We all want to be seen. But this, this can really enslave you. Even, and the the thing is crazy, it can enslave you to people you don't even know. When the stress and the demands of a fallen world crash into a person who's put their hope in being liked and respected, whose approval, what happens? Then you're constantly thinking about things. You're anxious about things like, do people like me? Did I do enough? Did I do too much? Did I come on too strong? Did I embarrass myself in this situation? And you become enslaved to the opinions of others. It's a terrible way to live. It can be terrible for leaders. I, I don't, I, I, yeah, yeah. It could be terrible, terrible for leaders. One time during COVID, a person came up to me. It was not a person who, just visiting our church, came up to me. And during COVID, for a certain part of time, we were saying, you have to wear a mask. And a person came up to me and said, this is wrong. You should not be doing this. This is a biblical issue. And I said, biblical? What, can you show me, where'd you get, what verse is that in, second opinions? <laughs> biblical? What are you talking about here? You see, if you need the approval of others, it will kill you. You might have fleeting moments of happiness but in Christ, we can be free from the maddening expectations of others. Imagine that. This is possible. You can be free from the expectations of others. That's freedom. And maybe comfort and approval is not you. I got you. Coming up. Control. This is another one. And, 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 uh, with control, as with all of these, you know, one of my favorite theologians is Admiral Akbar in, in uh, Star Wars. And, and with all of these, it's a trap. <laughs> it looks good, but it's a trap. And when we talk about control, that means we're putting our hope, we're putting our confidence in our ability to control the world around us. And I can really struggle with this. I mean, you know, you, w- we talk about these four. You'll see yourself in all four of them, but there's one or two of them that just jump at you. And I can really struggle with this. I think that I am in control oftentimes. I want desperately to be in control when I'm not. I thought about this, I may have mentioned this, but it's, to me it's such, it shows an insight into me. Um, one time my wife and I, just the two of us, we, we got away on a vacation in, uh, in the lower part of North Carolina, some of those islands out there. And, and I had this at the time. I love cars. I love motorcycles. I had this sports car that handled really well. I just put new tires on it. Had a deep throaty engine, just could go, go, go. And I love that. And uh, part of the way there, it's just two lane roads going through back country, North Carolina. And you're on this two lane road and there's this huge field. And the road just goes up and hangs a hard right and keeps going. And then there's a forest. And, and so, so you can see if anyone's coming or not. And the speed limit is 55. And then suddenly there's this sign that says 20. And my wife says, it's 20 up here. And I said, no, it's not 20. That's, that's a yellow diamond. It's, that's a suggestion. <laughs> the speed limit is actually 55. But they suggest on this corner you go 20. I'm not doing it. I have a sports car. I can see a mile down the road. No one's coming. I think I can do it at 40. And so I just and, you know, she closes her eyes, and she goes, this does not impress me. I just want you to know this, (laughs) and I'm like, no, I'm not trying to impress you. (laughs) I used to race, I used to race as a kid. This is, this is just stinking fun. That's all it is, and so, you know, off we go, and, uh, and she just is so dismissive of me and my childishness, which was probably fair, so then it turns out that's the only way in or out. Like, if you want to go out to eat, you go right back, that same corner. So, well, let's try 45. Well, let's try 50, right? So, finally, I'm going, and I'm believing that I'm, you know, a Formula One driver, and so I'm breaking hard into the corner. You hit the apex of the corner. You hit the gas, so the engine pulls you out of the corner, you know, and, and just lets you drift wide, and uh, and... It got to the point, you know, my wife, she's buckled in. She's pushing the imaginary brake pedal. She's got white knuckles here. She's praying in tongues. I mean, it's just the whole thing (laughs) is going crazy. And I'm saying, I got this. I got this. I got this. I can do this. I know no cars are coming. I can do this. And uh, now, there's certain of you that are going, how fast did you go, Bob? What was your best? 62 62. Yeah, boy. <laughs> and I'm just feeling my oats and thinking I'm such a great, you know, I could, have been a, I could have been a race car driver, you know. I could have been somebody. And my wife goes, what if you get a flat in the middle of the curve as we're passing all those trees on that side? What if you get a flat? And I said, then I wouldn't be in control. I wouldn't be in control, yes, yes, that's it. She says, okay, Mary Andretti, you know, you would not be in control, and that's the thing. I think I'm in control, but all it takes is one unexpected thing to happen, and I'm totally lost. I'm out of control, I like to be in control, but it doesn't take much to throw a wrench in the works, and suddenly, you know, all hell breaks loose. I'm out of control. And I realized that. We think we're in control, but we're not. We are one unexpected event from total loss of control. So I think if I can manage my money, if I can manage my family, if I can manage my job, I like that certainty, we all do. If everybody would just do things my way, we'd all be happy, right? And that works great in a marriage, right? Yeah. Let me see, yeah, just do what I'm saying, honey, and everything will work out fine. Yeah, that rarely works, and by rarely, I mean never, okay? And, and let me just, this is, this is the series. This can get real toxic in a relationship. When you have somebody that's gone all in that's really struggling with control, it can be very difficult in a relationship. So when the stress and the demands of a fallen world slam into a controller, it brings worry, and often it, it results in loneliness. It brings worry. It brings panic. And so comfort, approval, control. The last one I want you to look at real quick is comfort, approval, control, and power. That's success. I want to win. If I lose, it's a reflection on me. I'm humiliated. I'm inconsequential. That's a terrible thought for many of us. I put my hope in succeeding and not failing. And when the stress and demands of a fallen world slams into a person who puts their hope in power, they become angry and they feel like a terrible failure. We all fail. We're all weak. God knows that. He planned for it, He knew that was coming. And our faith this is what I love our faith sees us just for who we are. You and I, we are sinners and yet our faith affirms us by saying, you and I are worth dying for, in God's eyes. See, it, fe- it hits us with the reality, and from both angles, yes, you're a sinner, but God says, I love you, you're worth dying for, for me. The pursuit of power makes us project strength that we don't have, that's how it works in our lives. Comfort is not a worthy hope or foundation for your life. Approval is not a worthy hope or foundation for your life. Control is not a wor- worthy hope or foundation for your life. Power is not a worthy hope. It's not a foundation for your life. What is? What is? Now, I know you're saying, uh, the answer is Jesus, Bob. Wrap it up. We can all go home. Well, I got a little bit more I want to say. I want to talk about Hebrews 10 just, just for a moment. And I know you're thinking, Wait that was the introduction yes it was yes it was so i want you to see two things real quick god sees everything about you and he wants you he sees everything about you and he wants you you are welcome to him says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. He sees you. He sees you. Now, Man, I feel like I'm talking about myself a lot today, and I am. But when I was a kid, I was not a great kid. Um, I had two older brothers that were good. My, my middle brother, Steve, was like the perfect kid. He got good grades. He was, never got in trouble. And I just naturally said, that doesn't look like fun. I'm going the other way. And, and so I was not a great kid. And my mom, to top it off, my mom was a very trusting person, and she was blind. All right? which is a great combination if you're a lying, bratty punk, to have a mom who trusts you and can't see you, just as, you know. And I, I'm, I'm planning on doing a lot of apologizing when I go meet her in heaven because I realize, you know, the older I get, I see that. And it was easy to deceive her. But here's the thing. We have a God who sees everything. Not just he sees everything. He knows your dark secrets that no one else knows. He knows those things you did that you've never told anyone about. He knows them. He sees them. And yet, he still loves you, and he wants you. I still want you. I see everything about you. In In this passage that we just looked at, the language there is we have this confidence in verse 19. We have this assurance in verse 22. We can boldly go into, into, right to where God is, right to God. We can bust right in and go straight to God. And I love in some of the the Old Testament passages where it talks about prayer, it has this idea, it uses a word that means face-to-face. And I've told you this before, but I love this idea that I come busting in and say, God, I'm just, I've, just, I've just done something terrible. I feel terrible. I need to, I need to confess, and I need, and, and God just gets down and says, okay, Bob, tell me about it, face-to-face. Talk to me. I want to know. He gets face-to-face with you. It's not this God up in heaven that you're trying to get your prayers through the ceiling to reach him. He comes to us. What do you want? Talk to me. And and when we put our hope in this Lord, this Lord, hope is him. This is the life that Jesus says, I want for you. You may struggle with the idea that God wants you. You may tell me, Bob, I've done some really bad stuff. And I'm not sure if God really wants you. And my answer would be as gently as possible would be like, "Um, have you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? because there are some people who have done some terrible stuff, who are now considered heroes of the faith. They will match your sin and raise you, right? You say, well, I got this sin. Abraham will say, I got, I got a three of a, pair, three of a kind on that sin. You say, well, I did this. David will say, I got a full house on that sin. Well, I did this. Apostle Paul will say, I got a royal flush on that sin. Apostle Paul would say, hey, I was involved in killing Christians. And God still took me. He still accepted me. He still loved me. I don't care what you did. You cannot out the grace of God. He knows us and he wants us. I love that when, when we were looking back, when we were Hebrews, and we were looking back, you know, when Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and that, that whole mess, and she finally is so bad, she runs away, and God appears to her and talks to her, and she says these words. She says, I have seen the God who sees me. The God who sees has met me. Wow. He sees her. He knows everything about her. And he says, okay, let's make this. Don't worry. I'm with you. He knows us. He wants us. When you accept Christ as your Savior, when you acknowledge your sin and you look at what he's done for you and you trust him with your life, He sprinkles your heart and your conscience clean and he washes you, it says. And we're going to delve into that because to Jews, there was all kind of imagery. They're thinking there of mikvahs and they're thinking there of the, the mercy seat as blood was sprinkled. All those things they had to do year after year after year after year. And suddenly Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God with us, and he takes care of it once for all. Once for all. You've been sprinkled. You've been cleansed. So when I get frustrated that life is not comfortable, I can go to the one who listens, who knows me, and who wants me, and if nothing else, he'll sit with me and weep with me because he understands how I feel. That's amazing. He sees everything about you and he wants you. And secondly, he's faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He's faithful. When you see manger scenes for the next month, for the rest of this season, let them remind you that this baby is the embodiment of the faithfulness of God. This is our hope. This is our bedrock. God is faithful, and he, he fulfills his promises that have been made. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, in Jesus, all the promises of God become yes in Jesus. All the promises going all the way back. God is faithful to deliver all his promises. He promised a savior. In, in Hebrews, we looked at this. We pro, he promised a savior who is better than the angels, but came lower than the angels. And he did it. He promised a savior who is better than Moses. He promised a savior who brings a better way. It just goes over and over and over. He promised Emmanuel, God with us. He promised, he promised, he promised. So can your sins be forgiven? Yes. Run to Jesus. Will he always be with you? Yes. He said, I will never forsake you, never leave you nor forsake you. It's yes in Jesus. Does God care about sin? And is he serious about salvation? Yes. Look to Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in him because we place our hope in God who is faithful. When things are going great, he is with me. When things are going terrible, he's still with me. He's for me. I may not understand how that works in the moment of what I'm dealing with, but I know I have this hope, this hope that is Jesus, and he is with me. And this enables Christians to walk and live in a way that other people might find peculiar, because they have something greater. So something to think as you leave here, are you putting too much hope in one of these core idols? Comfort, approval, control, power. Think about that. Even sometimes talk to people who know you because what that does is they can help you figure out where you kind of lean naturally. We all have certain things we tend to lean towards. All of these, these four things can apply to us, but we tend to have things we struggle with more than others. And I know for me, it's I'm more comfortable when I'm in control. And this is revealed in times of stress. And I had then, you know, I deal, I have to repent. I have to go to God with it. I try to pray. I try to think of it this way. I say, this does not reflect you in my life. This does not help me become more like you. I'm going to confess this and I'm going to move towards you. I'm going to run to Jesus. So, are one of those core idols, especially difficult for you? Second thing is, do you struggle to believe that God really wants you? God really loves you. Because this is key, we have to believe that God is faithful to his promises. And I know we can struggle with that and we need to tell him, we need to admit it. We can struggle sometimes with doubt and we need to be open about it. Talk to others who you know are for you. Don't walk through these struggles alone. I think the, the most difficult thing I see sometimes over all these years is when people start struggling, maybe they start doubting, they tend to withdraw from everyone. They tend to get alone. And then then what happens? You're just stewing in this. You need to seek out others that you can trust. I mean, I, I say this so many times, but I mean it. If you're struggling with something like that, I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you, not to condemn you, not to berate you, but to just go over some things that I think are helpful from times when I've struggled. The tools we have for this are the word of God, you know, as the Holy Spirit applies it to our life and a community of believers around us. That's why you don't walk through struggles alone, because hope is collective. In verse 24, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another onto love and good deeds. It's a collective thing. You're not in this alone. There's no lone rangers. This idea of 21st, of this American ideal of this independent people who can take care of themselves by themselves is, is not what God's plan is. It's, it's a trap. It's a trap. I mean, I think about it even for me. There have been times in the last 20 years here at First, Ch- First Church where sometimes I felt like ah, I've run out of gas, I struggled, maybe gotten depressed some. And some of you, some of you, you didn't even know, you didn't even know. And you came and you shared things with me and you said things to me and you encouraged me and you spoke life into me. You know, Bob, God is working, look what God is doing, look at the stuff like that, that filled my tank, that lifted me up, that encouraged me. And so he's saying this is how it's supposed to work. Now look, I don't, I'm always afraid if I share something like that. Every one of you is gonna be coming out, Bob, listen, be encouraged. We, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not fishing for encouragement. I'm just telling you, this is how it is in people's lives, yours and mine. And so he says, so let us, uh, in verse 24, let us consider how, that word consider means to figure it out, think it through. How to what? How to stir one another up, how to speak life into each other. And as you do that, God works. He brings hope, and this hope, that is the embodiment with Jesus is the embodiment of the promises of God. This hope that that little baby in that manger is a hope that thrills the world. It's what we need. It's what our life can, can be based on. So for every present that you see, every present you buy, every Christmas light you see, every Christmas song you hear in the next month, be reminded of the hope that came into the world when Jesus was born. This is a foundation that you can build your life on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is true. Lord, we can can trust it. Thank you that all your promises have been yes in Jesus. You fulfilled your promises. The Old Testament is shot through with promises of the coming Messiah, and we see Jesus is yes in every one of them. And now, Lord, we look around And we see tremendous needs and we see tremendous struggles in this world. Help us to be a part of the answer in in maybe big ways, maybe just little ways. Help us to find opportunities and avenues to love other people, to share, to speak life into other people. And uh, Father, help us to be willing to take time to think about our life and these 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 things that can be such a struggle for us, this pursuit of comfort or power, all of these things, Lord, they distract us from you, help us to be focused on you. God, thank you for how you're working in First Church, even as I speak, and the things where life is being brought to people in so many various ways. Thanks for allowing me to be a part of it. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. That 2,000 years ago, our Savior Jesus came to earth for us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.